It's time for another episode of the Infinite Loopback Podcast, an Apple-themed technology podcast with your hosts, Brian Baggett, Jim Graham, Brad Tarver, and Jason Young. Well, WWDC happened this week, and uh, man, there was uh, there was so much to uh, to cover. I believe Jim said this was the uh, about effing time keynote. <laughs> Everything. It's like every other story was, well, it's about effing time. It's about it. I mean, like that was my comment for so much. And, that was, that was all of our comments. That's good. I mean, that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's just like wow, they they finally did it. <laughs> I think last year we might have said that too, where it was kind of like the Godfather, where it's now we settle all outstanding family business, and uh, and it feels like they did get. There's two big overarching themes. I think we're going to get into when we we delve into this. Which is the first is, of course, you know, it's about time, but also, too, it seems like there's unprecedented feature parity across all the operating systems. So a lot of the announcements that we've seen, none of them were just they, they were almost all with the exceptions of watchOS and tvOS. They were all mostly, you know, the same announcements over and over and over for the course of two hours. Yeah, that was kind of neat. And they made sure to say that a couple of times, too, where they would say, and all your devices do this. And they'd show a picture of you know, Mac, iPad, iPhone. And they even brought some of the, the parody to tvOS or HomeOS or whatever they're calling it now with some of the other stuff. Yeah, that was the, uh, that was the uh, neat part too, I think, is, uh, as we're, as we're going to see this as we, as we get sort of into this, is that so much of what we've seen is actually going to be on everything. And it seems like, well, you never want to say day one with Apple because a lot of times those updates may come December, January, February, April. You know, you never can tell. But going into this, they kick things off with uh, FaceTime updates. So FaceTime really got the biggest update probably since it launched in 2010. I mean, this is, this is some, some huge updates. Update. So we finally get a, a nice grid view with up to six participants in it. I didn't really like the sort of cartoony whenever you had multiple people on FaceTime where it was like one, two, three people and it had these little squares that were overlapping. It was it was goofy. And I mean, it was nice, I guess, you know, the, for the aesthetic they were going for, but it was never really professional. And it really looks like they're taking a shot at Zoom and some of these other services. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Welcome to Zoom. I mean, it's basically what everybody else has been iterating uh, you know around over the last year because everybody's been on video calls and so they've probably been working on it for the better part of a year and they just finally got to announce it but everybody else does incremental releases and Apple just dumps all it all into you at once yeah but what a uh, what a dump they took on us <laughs> well i guess the biggest thing that they've done i guess the most surprising thing is they put uh, FaceTime on the web so people that have Windows and people that have Android can actually use FaceTime now. The interesting thing is, in order for people on the web to use FaceTime, the call has to be initiated from an iOS device or an Apple device. And, you know, you can't just get on and have two PC users talk to each other over FaceTime. It's not how it works. No, you have to have a privileged user to allow you into the conversation. That's right. You have to have a blue bubble to invite your your worthless butt into the conversation. But that is nice because I think they realize that Zoom or whatever had become the de facto because it's so easy for anybody to use in a browser. I mean, I got married on Zoom a, a year ago, you know, like that, that was, that was the no brainer, you know, it was, we're going to do it over Zoom like that. Just, you know, it, there was never even a, really a conversation about FaceTime because there's, you know, too many people that, that don't have Apple devices and, um, I don't think any of them are in my family. It was it was all my my wife's family, but 
I'm kidding. <laughs> well, it's just like you said, Jim. It's it's straightforward enough. It's very easy. And, oh, look, here's a Zoom link. You click on this link, you type in a name, and you're in. Whatever web browser you're in, it just works. If you're on a device that has the app, oh, look, you can use the app or watch it in the web. There's extremely little friction of entry to get to use the product to get to where you're seeing people. And making it free, everybody jumped right in. And so one of the things was face tracking, right? We talked about that a couple episodes ago with the Facebook thing. And there's some sort of face tracking in... The iPad Pros, of which we will not be discussing this week, is uh, they do actually have a thing called Center Stage that will track you, and it's it's magnificent. I mean, it is it is really like having your own cameraman. You can get up, leave the room, and walk away, and then come back, and it sees your face, and you can duck behind tables and everything. I mean... You can't get away from this thing. It actually will track you, and and uh, it's pretty neat. But that's on the uh, the higher end iPads only right now. Well, I'm looking forward to converting our family calls from Zoom to FaceTime. Almost everybody in the family, both sides, in laws, and and my side of the family, all have iPhones or iPads. And there's just there's always so much confusion with the older members of the family with Zoom. There's you know, hey, I can't see everybody. I only see the person that's talking, and you know they don't understand how to get out of those views. So I'm hoping that uh the FaceTime multicast or whatever it's going to be is going to allow for more intuitive controls that people who are used to using an iPad can pretty much figure out on their own. Yeah, and I never really used to use the group FaceTime, even though I thought it was neat and long overdue when they finally introduced it. This would actually probably get me using it more because, again, you can send a link instead of having to ring everybody all at once and somebody may not be available. Again, these are table stakes for most sort of any sort of conferencing app. So I'm glad they finally did it. Yeah. I think with COVID, the first time I used any of the, the group stuff, I mean, like me and um, my younger brother and sister started doing you know, especially once everybody was on, you know, big time lockdown, like, you know, the first three months or so, you know, where you just didn't see anybody else. And so we, we were, we were doing, you know, regular FaceTime calls between each other is the only time that I've really used that group functionality like that before. My parents, their uh, iPads and iPhone were so old that they wouldn't run group FaceTime. So we ended up having to do Zoom because Zoom did work. And that was just kind of embarrassing, sort of, uh, sort of right there for an Apple guy. But uh, another thing that's sort of table stakes is they're they're bringing portrait mode to FaceTime, so that you have sort of a bokeh-like effect, kind of like when you know you blur your background in Skype. But uh, it's going to look a little more professional, a little better than uh, than the blurred background does. So the uh, the other things that are kind of cool are the wide spectrum. So you can do both wide spectrum and voice isolation. So if you have people in the background. One of the things that I never understood before I worked at home was how noisy a neighborhood is during the day. Like, I have this neighbor across the street. I was I was telling my wife this the other day, that it's like, we live in a neighborhood. There's not really much in the way of a ton of foliage and trees. I guess they have more than most. They're over there, like, splitting logs for the winter or something the entire time. Like, they're over there shredding and <laughs> chipping and... I really think the guy runs some sort of disposal business for old limbs because it's just it's it's nothing but tree noises all damn day. And I'm like, what is that noise? And, I'm you know, I'm I'm a lot more sensitive to it right now. My neighbor is uh, I guess they got uh, her father to come down and uh, he's back there building a deck or something. I, I'm not really sure what he's doing, but there's a lot of sawing and cutting all day long. And Rich of course, people. <laughs> no, they would have somebody come in and build it for them. No, they, they just brought in dad. Hearing that all day long is is really annoying. Were I on conference calls all day long right now, I would uh, I would definitely appreciate something like that. 
So, but the wide spectrum is the opposite of that, where you hear every single sound, which I don't see myself ever, ever using that. Voice isolation, yes. Wide spectrum, probably not. So, Wide spectrum, I could see being useful in, say, a classroom setting. If you have a single camera webcam set up for a whole classroom of kids that may need to talk back to a teacher who's remoting in, or maybe if you've got a conference room of people that everybody's trying to work around a single webcam. I think all of this is useful, but I don't really see, see them stealing very much market share from from Zoom, really. I mean, honestly, I just don't. Or Teams, you know, like we use Teams for everything for work. I think FaceTime is, you know, it, it's a friends and family sort of thing. It, it's not something that you're going to use in a corporate environment on almost any corporate environment because most people just don't have Macs in their corporate environment. I mean, if you're a, a Mac corporate environment, then yeah, you know, I, obviously, but those are few and far between. So, I mean, I, I've, you know, they're all useful, but, um, and, and way overdue. In fact, you know, I think they just, they, they almost had to do it to keep FaceTime re- relevant. I've used it in a sort of network support type scenario where I'll get on FaceTime and they'll say, Hey, this server's making this noise and, or this light is on and I can't tell what it is. And I will do a FaceTime, you know, and I'll have them show me on their camera, you know, what it is that they're looking at, especially if they're, you know, 200 miles away. I think the reason you won't really see it in corporate environments is just because, you know, Zoom has the, uh, has the has the momentum at this point but i mean there's no reason you couldn't use it since it's free to use it's on the web and for some companies that actually may be something where it's kind of a selling point where it's like this doesn't cost anybody anything to use it it's available on the web it's available on everybody here has you know whatever ios i could see some smaller shops doing it but but yeah it's weird how we have these distinctions for for friends and family type software versus corporate software my company adopted blue jeans to go with teams and blue jeans was just mostly you know when it worked it worked fine i don't you know basically they they wanted something that wasn't teams and so that's what they went with but now my company is no more so now i'm back i guess in a 100% teams world or webex Ugh. the only real environment i could see this getting somewhat widespread adoption is in education again a lot of our school district even here in mississippi they're a full macbook school district so especially the only problem they have is that they lock it down big time and when you've got a lockdown user slash enterprise environment because it's kids but it's an enterprise environment for the size of the rollout they have they're probably not upgrading to monterey anytime soon and with them not upgrading with that, even though they did just get new MacBooks reissued everywhere, if they're a full Mac shop, I could see people using it. Eventually, they'll get there. Eventually, they'll get there, and I could see them using that. But again, in, in any corporate environment, retraining is the problem. Yeah. And you've already spent all this time training everybody on Zoom or Teams. I've not really heard of too many corporations bouncing back and forth between them. So once you've got everybody used to using this, why would you up and change? unless you're trying to save money. And I've seen in those big rollouts in schools where, you know, the kids don't really take them to the school's IT folks during the year because they've got so much, you know, they've got so many assignments that are due every day. So whatever breaks on them during the year, they just let it go. So those kind of kids um, are only going to see those upgrades, you know, if they turn their laptop in for two weeks, you know, to the IT department over the summertime. Isn't that crazy? In Mississippi, sixth graders are getting MacBooks, and <laughs> I work for a big multinational corporation, and they won't even give us MacBooks. And look at that. Most of the public <laughs> schools in Rankin County, they they do MacBooks. 
All the public schools in Lowndes County are MacBooks. Good to see Apple made some inroads against those Chromebooks then. Okay, SharePlay. So we're all old as hell, so I guess this probably isn't as cool to us as it will be to kids, but being able to share video and have it actually synchronize over uh, for SharePlay, where you can actually sit there, watch TV or movies, and type messages. I mean, a lot of us, that's how we use our stuff anyway, is I'll be watching something, but I have to glance up and make snarky comments about it. So now you can do it straight on your iPad or your iPhone. And the Apple Music integration, too, I guess now you can sit there and have like shared playlists that are playing as you're having a, a group. That would be distracting as a group call, but or even as a group text for my old butt, but still. My kids are going to love it. Just what you said, I'm too old to appreciate this or even want to use it, but my kids will absolutely just eat this alive. They will love it. So my wife has some friends that we've seen less because of the pandemic, and they used to do like a weekly movie night. So they all downloaded some sort of Chrome plugin during the pandemic that allows them to all watch the same movie without one person having to do a Zoom and then try to share that movie back out over their own bandwidth with the other Zoom users. And it works pretty well. I wish I could remember what the Chrome plugin is. No, I, I remember this when it came out. It was during the pandemic. It really got popular. And we were talking on Telegram. This is what I was asking you, Jim. It was like, wasn't that web-based? Because I thought you were talking about technology when you said, oh, this is about a year too late. Oh, yeah. I can see a time period when I might have done this. Right now, it's not. Maybe you know, hopefully not. <laughs> we don't end up back in, you know, in lockdown again. Yeah, it's I think it's mostly for, you know, for kids. And and I, I can see, you know, if you've got a tight knit group of friends and you want to do a movie night and you become distanced from one another, you know, for whatever reason, somebody moves. It, it's a neat feature. No, it is kind of cool. I mean, you could also say uh, family video or something like, oh, we took this vacation video. I wanted to show you this really cool thing real quick. I'm going to hop on FaceTime and show it to you. That is kind of uh, of neat. <laughs> that reminds me of this. Uh, you might be your parents commercial if you're going to do that, Brian. I'm not saying here. This is me, you know, doing <laughs> Let's whatever. Let's watch these slides. No, not watching slides. No, I got no, 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 no. millimeter here. Let's see what we did last summer. We just got back from our two-week cruise. Let's watch these slides. My brother face-planted into a tree. I wanted to show you this. That's what I was talking about. I wasn't talking about sappy and sentimental. I mean, hilarious, look at this. Let's have a good laugh at this. Nut shots. Thing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Jackass sort of stuff. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Not the not the parent videos. Let's see. With SharePlay, you can also, I guess, as part of FaceTime, you can also share your screen. So I don't know if that's built in as part of SharePlay or not or how that exactly works yet. But being able to share your screen over over something either like FaceTime or SharePlay, whichever method, I'm guessing FaceTime is using the SharePlay APIs to be able to, to share the screen. But having to do tech support for my parents, a Mac was always tons easier because you go to Messages on a Mac and I think Josh and I were talking about this. It feels like, it's always felt like iMessage on the Mac is like a holdover from the iChat days, and they just bolted iMessage on top of it. But one of the things that you can do for messages on a Mac that you can't do on iOS today is share your screen over, I guess, VNC. It'll instantiate a connection. So like when my parents would have trouble on the Mac, you know, I'd get them to go to messages, you know, right click on the two interlocking squares, hit share screen, and then boom, it was there. You can then turn off FaceTime. It has audio that you can talk to them over it. It was perfect. And now we're finally getting something like that for FaceTime via SharePlay as well. So you can actually share your screen because a lot of times they live on their iPads and iPhones. They don't live on the Mac. They barely use the Mac. So it becomes, you know, my iPhone's not working right or my iPad. I don't know how to do this or I turn this off. And it's so Wilbur. much better. <laughs> 
it's so much better to be able to do it that way. Brad, fix my Unify, that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> oh, well, well, I don't need that over iOS. I could just give him the, uh, here's here's your own WireGuard key. Come on into the VPN and have fun. Hey, Brad is the, is the Unify whisperer, man. He just makes things better. So I, I have no... I, I, I can tell you right now, I am not a network guy. I do not play one on TV. I don't know where they come from. But when you have a good one at your disposal, you got to be able to ask him for help. So, Amen to that. I think he's helped all of us here at some point or another with uh, yep. for sure. Unified appointments. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally getting like 150 meg a second better performance on my Wi-Fi right now. Oh, yeah. Same here. He uh, He boosted mine quite a bit. What do you guys think of SharePlay? Is it something that you're going to use? Are you going to be able to, the the screen sharing, I mean, and being able to do tech support for extended family, those types of things. Screen sharing is going to be huge for me with my parents, right? Like my dad dad is semi-technical, but he doesn't share everything that's on the screen. So like a a dialogue will come up and you say, should I do okay or cancel? Well, hell, I don't know. I can't read read what you're seeing unless you tell me so. Uh, it'd be nice to uh, be able to see what they've got going on on their screen and kind of guide them a little bit better. Agreed. It's the kind of thing that, you know, you don't want to have to use, but it will be handy when you do have to use it. You know, I think the biggest part of my self support with, with the parents is, is, you know, should I click on this or should I not click on this? Or is this fake? Or, I mean, I just always say, yes, it's fake. Don't click on it. I, I, you know, I don't even err on the side of maybe it's real. I just say, don't click on it. I say, can you read the link? And it'll say like, I-J-Q-M-B dot S-T. And I'll say, definitely do not click on that link. <laughs> Mine took it to the other extreme. It's like, I'm just never going to click on any links at all. And I'll just uh, contact you and make you decide if you click on it or not. Which, you know what? Honestly, not a bad thing. Uh, let's see. The next thing that was announced was Focus. So Focus is probably one of the things that excites me the most about the iOS release. And that's going to let you to have custom notifications and home screens, either based on location or time of day or any other number of factors that you want to set. Of course, you'll also be able to other to set status so that other folks know that you're not available. And it'll work across all of your devices. So you set, you know, you know, I'm away, I'm driving, I'm at work, I'm at whatever. And you can have auto reply messages set, which is also something that they used to do, right? I mean, this was something that you used to be able to set do not disturb and it would send a, you know, I'm not available. And then all of a sudden that kind of went away, I think. It still does. No, it's still, it's still available. Mine still works. Yep. Okay. Okay. I guess I haven't used that in a, uh, in a long time, but some of the, some of the things that you can use for focus is if I have my focus set to work, then I get a completely different set of notifications and a completely different home screen. So when I used to travel a lot, I would rearrange my home screen before I traveled. So Lyft and Uber and my hotel and my airline would all be on the on my main front page of my phone. You know, I would put all my travel-related stuff that I might need, you know, those types of apps, those types of things. Apps that I wouldn't otherwise use very often would be at the forefront. And then when I would come home, I would change them back to whatever my home screen was before. But, you know, I've been kind of doing this for a while, but the custom notifications are also something that's that's going to be useful. But one of the things that I don't like about the messaging system or the notification system inside of iOS today is like, you know, one of the examples that they used was you'll still get your food delivery and it would have like Uber Eats is what they showed in the uh, the keynote. Uh, one of the things that I don't like is that if I leave notifications on for something like Uber Eats or DoorDash, I really just want to know when my food is here. And what I get instead is coupons, spam, try something tonight. You know, there's something stupid where I end up having to go right. and turn those notifications off. 
I really hate that they allow that your vendors can spam you. I really wish they would fix that so I could just say only relevant notifications only. You know, you can send me an email telling me about your deals and I'll look at them or I won't, but stop giving me push notifications and waking me up or, you know, uh, making me look at my phone. So focus has to, it had better be laser sharp in what it allows through and what it doesn't. If I want to know my foods at the door, that's one thing. I don't want to know about these are the offers in your area tonight type of, uh, type of things. But do you guys see yourself using focus at all? How valuable is that to you? Cause I think it'll be pretty valuable to me. If it's at the granular level, you know, on an app by app basis, it would be huge for me. Right. Cause you know, technically, so I'm officially on call every five weeks. Right. But I'm an escalation person 24, seven, 365. Right. So I don't have the luxury of being able to set, do not disturb every night, but it would be really nice if, I had, you know, like a profile where I could shut off Telegram notices, shut off Instagram notices, shut off Facebook Messenger, but leave like VIP emails, leave text messaging on, you know, kind of have like a subset of what stays on and what goes off at night. Like that would be a tremendous help to me. It's kind of one of the things I'm looking forward to, but I don't know if it's going to be that granular coming out of the gate or not. If you could do it like you do with home and have scenes... So you'd have like a, you know, I'm at dinner with my wife scene or I'm goofing off with the kids this afternoon scene, that kind of thing. I have Outlook and Teams on the front page of my phone because I use them all the time for work and the same on my iPad. So if I could have something to where, you know, at nights or on the weekends to where I just kind of hid those because if somebody needs me, they'll they'll send me a text message if they really need me and I'll see that. But if I look down and I see that one or that five on Teams, I'm going to click on it. You know, I'm just like, I'm, you know, I'm a responsible person. I want to see if anybody needs something. Is the database down? Who needs what? But I really don't have to. Like, you know, it's it, it'll be fine if I look at it at 730 the next morning. And so if, if this works to where I could just kind of hide those apps for, you know, from seven even, seven, you know, to seven to the next morning, and then they kind of come back and I start getting notifications again. I think that would be huge for me. I don't know that I would use it for a whole lot of other stuff, but if it just did that, that would be great. Yeah, and it, you can it'll automatically set your home screen based on those situations. So yeah, it should uh, if you have those so that they're hidden off the app screen or hidden in a folder or something, so you don't see them. You should be uh, you should be golden. Speaking of notification, so we talked about how that can be modified for focus, but I love how they're taking all of your useless notifications and rolling them up into a summary of notifications to make them less overwhelming. So being able to sort of granularly set your your notifications is going to be nice. It's one of those things that Android, I think, has had for a while now that iOS should have stolen. Yeah, it, getting over, overwhelmed notifications can happen a lot. I, I think it, 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 if it's implemented well and... and uh... Shoot, like you said, it'll just be nice just to not come in and have to scroll through 85 notifications just to see if I didn't, if I missed something important. You know, that's the thing is if my iPad goes and I don't use my iPad for a day and I go scrolling through these notifications, I do have some things that I get notifications for on my iPad that I don't on my iPhone. And just trying to scroll back and go, well, I've seen that, I've seen that. No, I don't. It, it'd be nice just to say, here's the important stuff, and then I can get rid of everything else. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. I mean, for me, as I as I continue to convalesce, sometimes I'll be up all day. Sometimes I sleep during the day. Sometimes, you know, depending on, on what I'm going through. So being able to set a don't give me any notifications until this time would be absolutely super. Though, I, yeah, I can't really wait for that. What else do we have? Safari voice search. So... 
apparently they're going to have a microphone tab and you're just going to be able to uh, to search using your voice. I don't know that I would actually use that. What about you guys? Maybe. A lot of it comes through with the fact that right, wrong, or indifferent, I've just really kind of been conditioned that Siri's not super reliable. Uh, it's gotten a lot better. There are some devices that it does fine, and maybe it's because most of the time I try to use it, it's with my watch. And so a lot of times the watch is just kind of like, eh, yes, I did. No, I didn't. But uh, it, I can see myself possibly using it some, especially if I'm in a situation where I can't stop and try to type something out. I could see it being a feature that I'll try when it first comes out. Oh, that's really cool. And then forget about it and never use it again. That, yeah. I mean, it sounds like it could be useful, but I'll probably forget it's there until I find some specific use case that, you know, that I want it for. And strictly really on iOS, I, I can't see, I, I still turn Siri off on my Macs. Well, it's not as robust on the Mac as it is on iOS, obviously, but it, it, it's starting to come around, it feels like, even in even in Big Sur. I, I can see both of y'all saying, oh, I can use it once, then I'll probably forget about it. And then in November, you'll say, I use it the most on my phone now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It could happen. Like if it has that real useful factor, I mean, I, I see myself really using it. I, I like the potential that it has. My mom talks to her phone all the damn time. She asks siri for everything i'm just used to typing on my phone so i just type but you know i haven't seen anybody you know like my mom like she'll carry on a conversation with that thing to get something done see it has some uses oh no i I don't doubt that it has siri bring the car around (laughs) yeah yeah once we get to tesla you can do that another thing about it is that while it may not seem very useful to me from an accessibility standpoint that is going to be a life-changing feature for a lot of people that don't have full use of their hands or motor skills, that they'll be able to use their voice to search on stuff like that. Not only that, but some of the accessibility features have gotten really good inside of uh, iOS. I know they announced those last year, but they have eye tracking on the iPad, and that's apparently getting an improvement in iOS 15 as well, where it can actually monitor your eye movements for people who are paralyzed and make it so that you know you can you can move things and do things on your iPad, you know, at least move the cursor based on your uh, your iMove, which is a which is a big thing for the disabled. Speaking of some of those those types of changes, so the health data thing is kind of as somebody who's gone through a lot in the last year, I do like the fact that now you'll be able to share your health data with a family member so you can share it back and forth. So those of us and I think all of us are in this boat, we all have elderly parents and being able to, you know, see data that gets collected like I'm about to get my mom my uh, my series 4 Apple Watch, being able to have her data that it collects, like, you know, the ECG, well, I don't know if it does ECG on the Series 4, but at least heart data and stuff like that will be a a huge thing. And uh, I noticed that you're able to share your data with your doctor directly, which for me, who has very frequent doctor visits these days, that is a, uh, that's going to be a huge thing. And one of their partners was Cerner Health, which is my hospital's, uh, uh, provider of choice. So that will be really neat to just slam my medical team with, uh, <laughs> with data, whether they want it or not, Messages. they're going to get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey doc, here it is. Here's my heart rate. The, uh, the trends in the health app and the uh, walking steadiness that tells you when you're likely to have issues will be, uh, will be kind of neat. Is that the new breathalyzer? Are people going to like go out and drink and then see if their phone tells them if they're going to fall over? Like, Let's see who can drink until my phone tells me, you know, that I'm going to fall or is it that soon or is it like an overtime thing? That's what I couldn't get. Like if you get pretty drunk and you're walking out of a bar, is your phone going to say, hey, be careful, don't fall? Or is it like a long term? We notice you're getting old, Jim. Be careful. I, I, I couldn't tell how that arc worked. 
I think they're they're tending toward the latter, but I guess Jim will be trying it with the former once it comes out. So. Oh, I'll be able to tell you very quickly. Well, you got to give it a shot. I'm a beta tester, man. <laughs> I can see my wife using something like that during her dementia evaluations that she does on Ooh, elderly yeah. people. Because yeah. she still does do dementia evaluations through telehealth. And it's a lot of the time it'll be the patient and a caregiver in the room. And the caregiver's kind of driving on the other side as far as like, you know, helping the person, you know, whatever it is they may do, like even managing the phone for them while what my wife talks to the patient. But I can see her using that as a, a an extra metric in her, you know, whatever the words a doctor would use to say, you know, their clinical path that they would take with them for their treatment you know telehealth sessions would also benefit from the health data as well yeah giving the doctors access to a lot more information without the patient having to come in again kind of like what jim said this would have been really useful a year ago right also is the digital legacy and emergency recovery contact i know at least one person who's kind of a Let's just say she's a handful and leave it at that, who uh, had to abandon iOS because she could not remember her recovery key. She could not remember any of her security questions. And it's like, it was one of those things where she called me for help. And I'm like, how do you not remember like any of these? They ask you the question that you picked out, by the way, and you can't remember the answer. Well, I said childhood best friend, but it could have been this person, this person, this person. It's like. If you knew this person, you would understand. Like, it would just be like, that's yep. very on brand. been there. Yeah. <laughs> what's, your, what's your mom's name? M-O-M. <laughs> yeah, it was something stupid like that, too. It was like something related to her childhood from her mom. And it was like, yeah, your mom's still alive. You could ask her. We can't remember. Ugh. I have a younger brother who passed away several years ago, but he had different issues. But one of them is he had an extreme paranoia. I mean, it was just it, that was one of the things that was wrong with him. And he would set his password all the time on his phone because he thought somebody was going to like try to hack him or get in and do something. And then he would forget. And then he'd have to reset the whole damn phone or call, some, you know, like. I mean, that was that was a thing with him. I mean, it just and so immediately I thought of him when they announced this yesterday, which is basically just, you know, you can call your mom or your brother and they know exactly what to do to unlock your phone. And then you're back in it. I mean, that's that's an amazingly thing that I would have never thought of, you know, like to be available. That was probably not very hard to implement. And boom. I'm pretty sure that Apple support had been inundated over the years. From My parents ended up in a very similar situation where I don't know what my security question is, and I ended up having to set that for them. But one of the things they would do, and they, I don't know if you guys have run into this over the years, getting locked out of a device or anything like that, but they will send a recovery code to one of your logged-in devices. Again, if you have more devices in the ecosystem, it's a benefit. So like you forget the code on the phone. Well, I'm going to send a push code to your Mac or your, I, your iPad or whatever, and if you get that because you're signed in on iCloud with that thing, you know, and if you can unlock that and access it, then you are who you say you are. But the emergency recovery contact, like you say, it's like an easy thing to implement. You know, what's the Apple ID of the person who who does it or what's their phone number? You give it to them and, you know, this person would have been able to put her husband in there and that would have been that, you know, he would have been able to recover. The other thing is the uh, digital legacy. Jim mentioned having a brother that passed away a few years back. I myself have had a couple of brushes with death. My wife, when I was in the coma, could not access any computer in the house. Like I changed the passwords and didn't tell her I was going to, but I just forgot. And then she couldn't get on any computer. She couldn't remember my passcode or anything like that. And, you know, she would have been completely locked out from all of my stuff, of which there were tons of stuff that she could potentially have needed. Not to mention, she's a big, you know, she loves photos. And we take pictures with my camera because my camera is way better than hers. And that would have been stuff that she wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have had access to. 
I don't know. I think that's a very important thing to have. I kind of hope you can set multiple people to be able to do that. You know, I think I don't want to be morbid, but it's like, what if me and my wife are in a uh, car accident and she was my person to get my data? Well, now it's no good to anybody. So being able to say like, oh, my brother can get into it or something like that would probably be an okay thing. Well, it's funny. My my son saw that on the thing and he was like, you know, that's that's really morbid. That's depressing. And I'm like, well, and I explained to him, I said, well, buddy, do you know any of my stuff? Well, no. I said, okay, if I was to die, how would you or mom get into any of my stuff whatsoever? And there's some stuff that I have access to online that they don't. And he's like, well, I didn't think about that. And and it's, it's a real problem. You've seen people where, and you've seen people where they've petitioned to go to Apple and going, look, I'm the executor of this person's will. Can you, here's a death certificate. Can you unlock these devices? And Apple's stance has pretty much had to have been no because of their privacy standpoint. And it's, it's cruel, but it, again, it, it, if you let that through, what else do you let through? I, I get it. It's cruel, but I get it. Um, with the emergency recovery, I actually had an issue with this a month ago. One of my, one of my gaming buddies, he's an Android guy, and his stepdaughter had a, uh, she had an iPhone, the only iPhone in the house. Well, she changed her passcode because her friends knew her passcode, and she thought they were getting into her phone, and then she forgot it. And had the touch ID, but then couldn't get it. And her brother was like, well, you can, you know, you can send it to my device. Well, it, they had to set up his device. Nothing was set up in a family plan. They had to wait to contact the dad who knew the credit card information they could use to verify the account to unlock the phone. But they didn't know it. And she also forgot her Apple ID password. So again, from Apple's stance, and it's kind of like I tried to explain to him, buddy, Apple doesn't know you from Adam. It could very easily be a social engineering attack from their standpoint. And he's like, this is ridiculous. The phone's about, you know, I can't use it. And it, it took day, it took almost five or six days to it's resolve it. Yeah. Where he was about fighting mad. And he said, I will never buy a damn apple product i'm like buddy i get it how dare they protect my privacy like that i wish anyone could call in and pretend to be me and get my data why just bend over i'm gonna go out and buy myself a whole bunch of amazon devices they'll share anything with everybody hey now you know what it, I mean, but you know what I mean. I get where they would get frustrated. I but know it's what like, you mean. No, Josh, well, you got you to gotta be like to your son. You got to be like, you see this beautiful new iPad Pro? You won't be able to get into it. Don't you want to know? <laughs> right. But it, and it's one of those where I, I, he, he understood. He's like, you know, well, look, I, I get that they're, I, I get that. He said, but dude, this is a pain in the butt. He said, if it was my Android phone, I could just wipe it and get over. And I'm like, yeah, that's why the Android phones get stolen all the time too. I said, if you can't unlock an iPhone, it's a brick. It's it's almost pointless to steal them at this point. But I, I, t- I, I told him at the end, I told him about this feature and I said, look, I said, I have you to thank, all the Apple people have you to thank for this feature to be added. I said, because I have no doubt it was your experience a month ago that got them to add this in time. And uh, this is a PG podcast, so I will not repeat his response to me. Oh, there's so many jokes I want to make. I understand the frustration. A lot of people, for their phones, they don't care about stuff like that. But if somebody got those those a certain set of pics on their phone they didn't want someone to see, or they were doing something they weren't supposed to be doing, and there was evidence on their phone, they would want that protected. Not to be all salacious, but there are there are circumstances at which you want your, your private data to be private. You wouldn't walk over to someone and hand them your phone and unlock it and just say, here, go through whatever you want. 
And that's basically what you're doing when, you know, when they get frustrated like that, they need to remember, hey, this is protecting you. And it was frustrating when my friend was like, I'm going Android now. It's like, you do realize that this is your entire life on your phone. It needs to be protected. There was a uh, Matt Honan who used to write, I guess he still writes for Wired, who had the username M-A-T on Twitter. I don't know if you guys remember this. A few years ago, I do. he got social engineered and hacked because somebody wanted his Twitter handle or that three-letter Twitter handle. And those folks who hacked him, this is a couple of teenagers, they wiped every iCloud device that he had. All of his pictures of his infant kid, everything that he had was all simultaneously wiped at once. Every Mac, every iOS device, they nuked him. And I guess he didn't have backups or something and, you know, or he had some, but imagine you're sitting here and then all of a sudden every device you have just starts doing the big Apple logo and you see the little wipe thing go and you're like, uh, because somebody called in, convinced the Apple tech support to help him. And next thing you know, everything he had was gone. And I guess if they had access to that, they could go into his iCloud backups and destroy those too. So I get where Apple is coming from. I mean, I get where the people are coming from, but I don't want to ever end up like Matt Honan did. Absolutely not. All five of us have grown up with computers. We've used computers since we were small children for the most part. And it's not, at least in my mind, I have to stop and realize that while I've always used a computer... It has only become in the last few years that my life has become so entrenched and ingrained into this iPhone that sits on my desk. Uh, All of my communication, all of my text messages, all of my email, all of my invoices, all of my bank information, all of my personal information is tied into that little device. All of my memories with my photos and everything else. And even five or ten years ago, that wasn't the case. Some of it's in the fireproof. Some of it's in my wallet. Some of it's in a photo album. Everything is entrenched into this ecosystem of devices that I now have. And while that can be, it's very convenient, it's also terrifying when you stop and think about it too much. In that respect, I'm also smart enough that I understand the Apple ecosystem. Like I said, with the family devices, me and my wife and my two kids are all set up under family with the Apple ID. I've tried discussing this to coworkers, and they look at me like I've grown three heads. What do you mean? I didn't know about that feature. Oh, well, it's it's fairly straightforward to set up. You just need to make sure they have separate Apple IDs. We all use my Apple ID. Well, you need to kind of go through. And then at that point, it, it's kind of when you stop and realize, man, that's it, it, trying to get to that point to set it up properly. Nobody thinks about it. Nobody thinks about it. And to get into this kind of stuff, I'm glad to see them making it easier for the emergency recovery and, and things of that nature. They really need to. And, and, but it, it's kind of like they said about that walled garden article that came in. It's, I, I see where people can be kind of like, Oh, once you're in, you can't get out. But these are the features that make you want to stay in is being able to protect all this and encrypt all this and have it to where people can steal my device and they can't do a blessed thing with it. Yeah. It's kind of weird how, uh, there was an article the other day. We'll just take a brief detour on this. There was a uh, article the other day on uh, Daring Fireball where John Gruber had talked about walled gardens versus theme parks. And, you know, one of the, the criticisms against Apple is, uh, you know, it's a walled garden. And in the Epic trial with Epic versus Apple, Apple argued that, you know, this is not a negative. It's a positive. It's why people come to the Apple ecosystem. 
And John Gruber, you know, likened it to a theme park instead of a national park, where it was like, you have a very controlled experience, you know what you're going to get, it's very predictable. I think the the term theme park was probably, it was apt, but it was probably off-putting to some people. I know Neele Patel over at The Verge had like a 8th grade hyperbolic girl reaction to, uh, to it. These are some people's only computers, how dare you, that's insulting. And it's like, yeah, but what can you do, what are they doing with their only computer? Gruber's a Disney nut. They go all the time. Well, I was going to say Nilay Patel is also prone to uh, hyperbolic statements. Ever, He's always been mad ever since that time he wore that, that Hot Topic chain-studded uh, thing on his wrist, and somebody called him out for it when he insulted the Apple Watch, saying, I'm not going to take fashion advice from somebody who shops at Hot Topic, and he tried to make it a racial thing or something. I, I can't remember, but... <laughs> yeah, I remember that, and that was very funny. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. He fits the site well. You You want somebody that, you know... It batter you love them or hate them, you know that it every, the all the attention is good. That you know some some every site needs one of those. It's all about the clicks. I mean it's the same thing with Gruber. I mean like right we some of the stuff Gruber writes, I'm like hell yeah, you know. And then some of the stuff I'm just like, eh, you know, our politics aren't exactly the same, you know. But I you know I still go back. A lot of the stuff on Apple, he's he's dead on about but sometimes he takes weird sides and here lately he's actually been sort of hitting the nail on the head i can always tell when he's writing something that's really good because the number of people that will disagree with him in the in the comments are just it's it's beautiful or if i don't disagree with him it's like okay yeah he's finally doing something right okay <laughs> uh let's see so the uh, the weather app got a big overhaul and it looked like they finally Ooh. started integrating some of the uh Dark sky improvements into into the weather app. About time. Well, they did buy it sometime Absolutely early up. in twenty twenty. I think it was, wasn't it? Or yeah, or yeah, it was just before WWDC in twenty twenty. So it was really sort of uh, too soon to get it in for iOS fourteen. But and in true Apple fashion, you have to wait a whole another year to get an update <laughs> on the weather app. I mean, that's what's ridiculous. It is. It right? is ridiculous. I mean, you know, like come on, give us you know a point five weather app update. Anyway. I heard somebody say it yesterday, and I guess I didn't even realize it, but this is the first time that the Apple built-in weather app actually has weather maps now. The built-in weather app has never had weather maps. Isn't that crazy? You are correct. I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I didn't use it, but somebody said... Yeah, this is the first time it's ever had weather maps now. I know for the longest time, the weather app was not on the iPad, along with calculators either. Still is. Calculators. Cal- calculators still not on the iPad. Is is the weather app still on the, not on the iPad? Nope. Okay, well, well maybe they'll, they'll finally do it. I know that Dark Sky's days are numbered, but I really don't want it to go away. Because the best feature that I've ever loved about Dark Sky is letting me know when rain is stopping and starting. Oh, yeah, it's the best, especially when you own a convertible. Man, that saved me multiple times when I used to mountain bike all the time. It gave me a heads up to either uh, head back to the car or try and go find some shelter. Now, did I understand that the Apple, the new version of the weather app from Apple is going to do that as well? They are bringing that over to the Apple weather app? Nobody has mentioned it online as far as I can tell. I did see one of the developers who uh, who worked on the weather app commenting about other things on Twitter, and I started to ping that developer and ask them, you know, is this going to, to be in there? And I still might. You know, I certainly hope that it does because for, for me, the biggest thing is being the precipitation, knowing when rain is going to start and stop right above the place that I am at the moment. You know, yeah. sometimes I want to walk my dog or, you know, go check the mail or whatever and... I can't do it. I got to be careful saying that phrase with my dog so close it's by. It's really good hyper local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I use Carrot 
you know, for my, my main weather app. And I think one of the things that's it's going to be bad when Dark Sky does go away is they actually license their API. So Carrot licenses the API from Dark Sky for their, you know, maps, and they they can do that hyper-local stuff in their app now, too. And I'm just waiting, you know, are they going to have to turn off that integration? And, you know, I, I still have the Dark Sky app installed. I still click on it a lot because I'm kind of, you know, weather nerd. I mean, I've got a, you know, weather station in my backyard. So, um, you know, I, I, I get into it. But, yeah, I think if once they get rid of Dark Sky, that's going to kind of stink. But, you know, I get it. You know, you bought it and you're and at least now they're going to use it. So I'm still not going to use the weather app. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, if they have the dark sky stuff integrated and it still works the same, I would find myself using the uh, the weather app uh, a lot more. I don't know. I'd, I'd miss having a weather app that curses at me. I just never have really gotten into Carrot. I know it's a great app, I know, but once I had Dark Sky and it was it worked well, I just never saw a reason to change to anything else or try anything else. Like this does exactly what I wanted to do. I'm good. Yeah, I got Dark Sky when it first came out, and you guys were recommending uh, Carrot, and I tried it, and I just didn't see the allure of it. I mean, it. I mean, it's got good data, but uh, again, right, the only thing that it did that was neat was you know, say some cuss words at you when you logged into the app. The, the update that they just made recently, I mean, it's, there's like multitudes of different layouts you can set up in the app on the iPhone and on the iPad. Yeah, that's um, really cool. You know, it's it's really nice. Um, the other thing is I, it actually integrates with my, my weather station here at the house. So I can actually use my weather station at the house for, you know, local conditions. So it'll actually connect directly into that, you know, and give me back the information right here. So that's pretty cool. Well, if they uh, if they ruin weather or they don't make weather to be as cool as dark sky, I may be looking for a new alternative uh, if that happens. And you can turn off the cursing. It's not like it offends me or anything. <laughs> it's just you know what I mean. It's like that. I'd always seem like that was the thing that they uh, that was the hook to get you in yeah, with the sense of humor the... or whatever. And it's like that's fine, yeah. but I really just want to know if it's raining or not. With the carrot, I heard a lot of people say took it upon himself to build a rudimentary interface builder and in, into the app to redesign it. Um, it's, it was, he actually, when you used it on the new one, you had to unlock new pieces to customize every day. So we didn't overwhelm the users all at once. Uh, I've taken a little bit of time to mess with it, but not a whole, not as much as I should. I need to spend an evening to try to redo it. Um, but uh, the the entry level that I have uh, uses the dark sky data. The widgets don't update as often as they should. You've got to pay premium for that because it is something that costs him more to pull the data more often, from what I understood. Um, but no, it's I've, I've I've been very very pleased with it, uh, and it does look great. But kind of like what you said, the dark sky. That's really all I want. Give me notifications. It's about to rain, and um, show me a, a decent weather map. So uh, also one of the big changes for iOS 15, and I, this one actually legitimately surprised me because I thought that this was not the case, but Siri is actually on device starting in iOS 15. And I honestly thought as privacy minded as Apple is for as long as they have. Now, I know that there are certain things that they can't. I thought that was already. Yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't think that for I know there's certain data. Like if you ask how old is an actor, which is like well, my favorite thing to do it'll go out to the internet because that's not going to be on your phone, but like doing certain things like setting dark mode or, you know, open this app or something like that. I didn't realize that every single time you invoke Siri, it had to go back to Apple. That to me is, I mean, I don't, I trust them with the data. I trust them with privacy, but good Lord, is that inefficient? Like I don't, I think uh, Google assistant has been on device for pff, 
quite For, years. Years. Yeah, at years this at this point. point. Yes. I'm not and, really sure why Apple hasn't done the same thing. Again, back to Jim's keynote for all this about effing time, and uh, it, it's it's one of the reasons that Siri has been so god awful slow sometimes, just to enact a timer. It it's ridiculous. Um, it, it well, yeah, because you're in between Wi-Fi and the inter- and in cellular or some weird place that has no signal whatsoever. Right. Or I'm sitting here trying to get a timer done on my watch because I've I flipped steaks on the grill and I need to set another quick little timer for it. And it, I'm, I'm in between mesh spots or something, or I'm outside and it doesn't know what to do. It just, it's ridiculous. So let's move on to iPad OS 15. Josh, you want to kick us off? I mean, I, I, you're mildly enthusiastic about the iPad. Just mildly. Uh, there is one feature that uh, we, we skipped in the iOS 15 that, I mean, I guess I can, it's also part of iOS, iPad OS and the rest of them, is the live text feature. And the easiest the easiest way to explain that is basically machine language powered OCR on all of your photos. You know the the scan people that have used the Notes app to scan. I think I know Notability and Good Notes, and I want to say Apple Notes can do it too. If you scan a picture, you can it'll translate the written words or text on there, and you can search it as as you could a text document. The live text is uh, uses machine learning to pull text out of any photos and recognize what it is. The thing about it that takes it to another level is that, number one, it's it's in real time, and number two, you can fully interact with it. What they showed in the demo was they took a picture of a restaurant outside that had the phone number on the side of the building, and they were able to take the picture, tap it, and it called the number. And a pretty blurry photo at that. Right. Uh, If there's a URL on the side of the building, you can click it, and it'll take you to the website. Um, I know that uh, the developer of Avery, a Twitter app that's it's on Mac and iPad, um, he was able to on his beta, his uh, one of his betas that he's running, he was able to take one of the s- screenshots of the keynote that had a bunch of Swift code up on the screen, and he was able to select it and copy and paste it straight into Xcode from a slide in the developer keynote, uh, which was just. Absolutely. And it, it perfectly selected everything and it all was there was no mistakes in it. It just looked amazing how that worked. And that's all done on device, actually, too. So they did they were sure to point that out. For those of us that have used OneNote and Evernote and similar note taking apps for a number of years, this has been something that Evernote really, you know, for all the grief that people give, I don't want to pay forty five dollars a year for this. I've paid for Evernote for years and years, and I've honestly, if uh, if I hadn't been undergoing a heart transplant when it renewed, I would have probably canceled it back in November. But, you know, because I just don't really have the need for it like I did before. I have corporate OneNote now when I, if I really need to use it. And I've never been all that impressed with the Notes app on iOS, but it's gotten better. That, that also reminds us, too, that we, we'll have some Notes stuff to talk about in just a second. But the ability to do OCR was really, really good in Evernote. Like, you could scan whiteboards, and, and it would, you know, you could search text that was that was written on a board very well so this is one of those things they should have sherlocked years ago like as soon as they had good machine learning this is another one of those you know it's about effing time type of um type of uh things that should have been in there well and the the thing about it too is that uh in addition to the about effing time they they appleized it they did they took it that extra bit that it's like you didn't know you wanted this but you really do uh, the ability for the ML to see not just what the text is, but what context is it. This is a phone number. This is a URL. This is code. If it can do that kind of stuff, if it, maybe this is an address, and I'm sure it'll, here's an address that you can click into Maps. 
that kind of stuff is uh, it, it's yes, this is stuff that other apps have been doing for, but to have this at the OS level and to have everything happen in real time because of the ML chips that are in all these devices, that's it's going to be one of the big game changers in my opinion. Yeah. What breed is this dog? What what type of flower is this? Those yeah, examples. they use those. That is awesome. So that yeah. was something that uh, for those of you that still follow Robert Scoble on uh, Twitter, he's been talking about this stuff forever. Like he keeps saying that Apple really has some AR stuff that they're going to be doing. And contextually, that Siri is going to get a whole lot smarter because they've rebuilt it. They're not ready to, to let it be a thing yet, but it's going to be much more about exactly what you said. So you're going to be wearing their little AR glasses or whatever, and you can say, you know, where can I get more of this? Or what kind of dog is this? Or what kind of this is this? And the machine learning is supposed to be very smart because all of that will be happening on device and it will be contextually smart to your life. It doesn't have to know the answer to every question. It has to know the answer to your questions, but we'll see. That's really speculation at this point, but that would be a good way to get past some of the bad you know, taste that Siri has left in people's mouths is to, uh, to have it so that, you know, it's, it's something that's, it doesn't have to know the answer to everything, but maybe just the one thing in front of you or the two things in front of you. He'll come back. Yeah. Uh, what, the example I gave yesterday was, you know, you highlight a face and then you use one of those national face recognition databases and you could see, Hey, who is this? And boom, you got it. <laughs> you joke, <laughs> but like uh, on device people processing for iOS is actually pretty smart. I don't know if you've done this where you're on your phone where you can go through and you identify, like you go through and you teach it who certain people are and it only needs a handful of photos and then it learns. But what's neat is for those of us who don't have ring doorbells anymore and we've gone all in on the home kit doorbells, when people that are in my photo roll come to my door to ring my doorbell, it tells me who's at the door. So like when my sister came to visit, she rang the doorbell and over all the home pods in the house, it announced, you know, when she rang the doorbell, I got the doorbell chime and it said, you know, my sister's name is at the door. When I uh, go and check my security footage of something, if it knows the person that's in the, that is in the picture, like on the video, it'll tell me. And it does that for me. Like when I go out to check the mail and I go back and look at the, the security video on the doorbell, it has my name as the person coming into the house. It has my wife's name, you know, when it comes in and that's all done inside on your devices. That's device learning that happens in house. So it already does that today, and it does it very well for security cameras. That's another reason. I know we joke I have about a billion security cameras in the house, but it's nice to be able to go back and pull up footage, and you can see if you've had that person in your house before and you've taken a picture of them, and they're in their photo roll and, and you know, or in your contacts or whatever, you know, you put them in there. It, uh, it's smart enough to figure that stuff out. So it's, it's very, very, very nice. It really is. I ordered three more blinks today. Of course you did, Bezos boy. <laughs> the other Here's a quarter. Was, Buy yourself a real one. Go ahead, Josh. What the saying? other thing with uh, anybody who uses Adobe Lightroom, uh, it has a feature in it that does the, the face detection as well. And it, uh, once I started going through it, I've got, I'm, I'm about to top 40,000 photos overall in it. Uh, the, 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 the face search is amazing with it, and it it's really can be handy. It really is amazing. And what you were saying about scope with the AR, I completely agree. There's been so much smoke about Apple AR glasses that it's it's not an if to me, it's a when. But you're seeing all these building blocks get built into it. And um, it, I think that they really have a chance to knock it out of the park when it drops. Before we move on to iPadOS, I did want to bring up one last thing in terms of features on iOS 15 that will theoretically exist in, in uh in uh, iPad OS, but I don't see anyone using it like this, like they would the phone, 
is on the topic of AR, one of the, the best things that I saw yesterday as someone who frequently travels, finds themselves in different cities and sometimes gets a little turned around is being able to take your iPhone, scan an area and have the AR tell you where you are and point to the street you need to go to with augmented reality. Now that is, is pretty kick-ass, I think. It, it really is. And like you said, that's one of those that but between that and the other maps updates that they showed, drilling down and showing you the different lanes on the maps and everything else, those are some really big updates to maps that we kind of look at and go, eh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But when you look at it from a from an ecosystem standpoint, it's going to make things a lot nicer for a lot of the average Jill and Jane, Joe and Jane users. Yeah, that was what was pretty funny is is Maps is kind of like Siri. It's one of those things that people used early on. They had a bad experience. It's the only product that I can remember in the history of Apple where the CEO says, go use our competitor's product. We're sorry, this is utter garbage. And it caused Scott forced all his career at Apple as a result. But just being able to to be able to to, to scan your phone and say, where am I? And it uh, it will point you in the right direction that you need to go based on your directions. I've been, I switched from Waze to Apple Maps recently, and my wife and I have had uh, a lot of doctor's visits in downtown Atlanta, so we've been having to, to navigate a lot of places that we don't normally necessarily go. The lane guidance is a lot better than it is on Waze. It looks like it's even getting better in iOS 15, and it's one of those things where if you haven't tried it in a while and you're listening to this, give it a shot. It's not as bad as you remember. I agree. And being able to report things through through Siri now, being able to... That was one of the things that I didn't like before with Waves was because it's not, a, you know, integrated with iOS. Even though you can pick it pretty easy from pretty easy from CarPlay, you know, you have your choice of whatever. They've opened it up to a great degree. Being able to report things through it, I think, is still something you have to reach to the UI and hit the little microphone and say the things. Now, I know in my vehicle, I have a Siri button, which is just a microphone button, but those with CarPlay have sort of a dedicated Siri button on their steering wheel. Or you can just invoke Siri with your voice and say, I'd like to report a speed trap. I'd like to report an accident or something like that. And it's instant and it is done. The problem is I don't see a lot of people using it yet because I don't think a lot of people know that it exists. So I find myself reporting things even when I'm a passenger in the car and my wife is driving, but you never see a lot of stuff pop up on the maps like you do on Waze. I think over time it will start to build that. I think if people will give it a shot, it'll be incredibly useful, but I'm, I'm digging Apple maps now in a way that I used to not before. So it's, I think I know whenever I've gone to different cities and this has been true for years, whenever I've gone to different places where I've done a lot of walking, it's, it is hands down the best of put in a destination, put your phone in your pocket and let your watch just thump your wrist and tell you which direction to go in. Exactly. That, that, that thumping of the wrist is the best thing. It's annoying when you're driving. Agreed. But it's, or after a while, it becomes annoying while you're driving. Plus it kills your, your watch battery if you're going for like hours and hours. So I ended up turning that off for driving, but when you're walking, it's nothing's better. It's, it's the best. I don't know. I guess other mapping solutions can't do that or they don't give them access to it or whatever, but they should, but it's a great feature. So I don't want to spend too much time on that, but maps using the AR, since we got on the conversation of AR, I did want to bring that up because that looks like a really, really neat feature. But Josh, we'll, we'll turn it back over to you for some of the uh, iPad OS 15 stuff. All right. Well, uh, with iPad OS 15, uh, one of the, the biggest about effing time deals was uh, widgets. We, we can finally place widgets in an iPad home screen somewhere other than the left column of the first screen. 
Unfortunately, the downside to it is that the widgets are still as non-interactive as they were in iOS 14 and iPadOS 14. But we can move them all over. There is a new extra large one, I think, that's a 2x4 size, uh, something like that. It's a really big widget that you can stretch across most of the screen. I am looking forward to putting widgets a lot more on my home screen. Along with that, with uh, iPadOS playing catch-up, uh, they also brought the app library over to iPadOS. And uh, the nice thing about it is that... That is huge. That is That is wonderful right there. Well, it's not only that they brought it over to it, but the app library also lives in your dock on the far right deal, and it pops up just like a stack does in macOS on the dock. So it just kind of pops up, and as you click on it, it takes over your screen. So if you have two, three, four screens of apps, you can still access the the app library from any of the screens you're on on the iPad, which is wonderful. The other thing that people complained about a lot was the multitasking. And I always wondered what was wrong with me because, I, it, yes, it could be a pain sometimes, but I worked around it and I didn't see any problems with the multitasking. What they've done now is basically you've got <sighs> despised. Well, it. I, I look, I'm not going to sit here and say <laughs> that it was great, but I will say that I, I didn't have any issues with it. I was able to work around it and it didn't it didn't hit up against me a lot. I probably ended up in multitasking five to ten times as many times as I actually wanted to. That was my problem is I just always ended up with somehow splitting the screen and I'd have to, you know, and it, it takes you a couple times to get used to, okay, okay, this is how I get back out of it. Because you can get stuck in it and if you don't know what you're doing, you're stuck in it. You're not wrong. And so that was my problem is is getting stuck in that situation. And then once I figured that out, it just kind of came an, an annoyance of... I think know. Gruber wrote about that the other day, that his wife uses it. And it's like, why is this enabled by default? It is so bad. And I think that's one of the things that they're fixing by this, by letting you explicitly do something to invoke it rather than automatically do it and then get stuck in it. It's Moom for iPad, and I love that. If you haven't used Moom on a Mac... It, it basically is, yeah. Get Moom for your Mac, you'll love it. So... Since podcasting is a visual medium, I'll, I'll paint the picture of how it works. Basically, you've got, uh, when you're in split view with the left and a right app, there's now a three-dot ellipsis at the top center of each of the left and rights. You can click on that, and you can use that to kind of pull an app down. When, when you go to invoke an app, you can now, if you, if you have something in split view and you go to open up a new one, it fades all the way to the far right, not quite like a slide over. You can still see it occupying the far right or far left of the window. But when you want to, instead of having to try to drag and drop an app to become the second one open, you can now click on the button at the top to invoke multitasking, and it'll have a drop down to go, do you want this app to be full screen, left screen, or right screen? And if the existing app you have up, so you have the mail app up, well, I want it on the left. Well, you click on the left, and then it kicks itself all the way out to the far left of the screen, shows you your home screen. And then from there, you can go through your entire home screen to pick whatever app you want on the right side. You click it, and it shows up over there. One of the problems that we've had, kind of like what Jim was talking about, the one problem I have run into multitasking is I will end up with two and three instances of Safari. I have the one that has the 10 to 12 tabs that I'm used to keeping open. But then sometimes when I've gone into split view or slide over, I have this new instance of Safari that only has one tab and it's, and it's a blank one. And if I accidentally kill the wrong Safari, well, now I've lost all my tabs and I don't know what they are anymore. There is now a shelf at the bottom. And uh, it's not like some of these other shelf apps. It's a multiple clipboard app. But if you have three windows of Safari open, all of those windows are at the bottom of your shelf. And when you go to try to alt tab or change it around, 
you can pull from the shelf and add into one of the two instances that are open. One of the other really nice things for people that use a Magic Keyboard or have a keyboard attached to their iPad, you can now control all multitasking from keyboard shortcuts. I believe I heard Federico Vitici talking about it today on App Stories that he said the globe key on the Magic Keyboard has become the function key, uh, that you can use that globe key as a globe option one or globe option left, and you can use that to handle the multitasking. It does sound really complex, but under the same token, uh, it, it looks like it's going to make things a lot easier to control. And a lot of the journalists that I've heard that have that have talked bad about the multitasking, they don't like it. They've looked at it so far and said, this is phenomenal. This is a much better implementation, and they're looking forward to using it. So what else has got you all excited about iPad OS 15? I, I heard that there was some sort of like coding thing you can <laughs> do now. What is that about? Yes. Well, the one of the big issues that people have complained about a lot over the last couple of months and for years has been that the iPad Pro is labeled a pro device by Apple, but none of their pro, de- pro software runs on the device. The big three pro apps from Apple being Final Cut Pro, Logic Pro, and Xcode. Uh, We got no announcement for Final Cut Pro or Logic Pro this time around, but they did say that Swift Playgrounds uh, is going to now have the ability to not only build apps for the iPhone and iPad, but you can also publish them directly to the App Store from Swift Playgrounds. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Swift Playgrounds, it was initially an education tool to kind of help learn Swift on the iPad, and you could write code in it, but it was very basic code. Uh, There was very little of the APIs that were in there. Over the years, Apple has been adding more and more and more access to the APIs, UI kit, and all this other stuff that's in there, and people have found out that if they just build a blank playground, there's a lot of stuff you can build with it, and especially with Swift UI coming along more, you can start building extremely feature-filled apps that, unfortunately, you can't publish and you really can't even do anything but run in what passes for the iOS simulator. But you you could do a lot of coding with these apps, and a, a lot of people were even starting to use the iPads to prototype quick Swift UI stuff. One of the big features of Swift UI is that it makes it very, very straightforward to build your user interface from code. You could do it before in Xcode with Objective-C and whatnot, but it was very, very difficult from what I understood. I think even the old days, it's been ages since I've done the stuff. You still had to use Interface Builder and Storyboards to collect a lot of the stuff together and connect it and wire it. Swift UI, you can make the UI completely in code, and it's not even that difficult. It's very easy to do. They have kind of said that uh, it's not a full-blown Xcode. They've said that, you know, you can. It's a new type of, it's not going to be Xcode projects that you save your code in. It's, it's a new type, but you can take these things you make in Playgrounds, and you can save the project and then reopen it in Xcode on your on your Mac that you have. They have there's a lot of things that you would need to see that they've, they, they've not said anything about yet. Uh, they said nothing about version control. They've said nothing about iterations or backups they've said nothing about collaboration something's niggling at me that they've not even said exactly what all apis will be accessible or not or if you can even import third-party apis i'm not sure they also dropped unfortunate little tidbit today that said it's not don't expect it to come out with ipad os 15 initially that it will be released on its own later in the fall but it's this is the first time that you've been able to write apps on the iphone or ipad and publish them from the iphone and the ipad so the I think the last thing we didn't talk about about iPad OS 15 was the Quick Note. You want to talk to us about that, Josh? Yes. Uh, so uh, one of the big 
rages in all of these note-taking apps has been what they refer to as backlinking. Drafts does it, Obsidian does it, Craft does it, I want to say Rome and probably even DevonThink do it. it. Basically, backlinking is you can turn your different notes files into a wiki of sorts where it has a backlink. You can reference other notes and then you can click through it just like you could in a, in a wiki article on Wikipedia. Quick note is uh, something that's been they've built upon from previous iterations. If your iPad's turned off and you've got your pencil, you can tap the pencil to the screen when it's off, and it immediately pulls up a new note that you can start drawing and taking notes on. Uh, what they've now done is they've taken the bottom right corner, and if you drag up with the pencil from the bottom right corner in any app that you're in, it pulls up a small quick note that you can change. Uh, if I remember correctly from the demo, you can change the size to however far out you'd extend it. And a lot of its behavior is just like a sticky on Mac OS. You know, stickies have been around for ages since like what, Mac, Mac 8, Mac 9, something like that. When, the, when you pull the note up, the neat thing about this is that you can now drag and drop from anything that's on the screen. If you're in Safari, you can take part of an article, you can cut and paste part of an article and drag and drop it with the pencil into a quick note. That quick note is not only going to keep the text, but it's also going to remember that it came from Safari. It's going to remember the time that you copied it from Safari. And it's also going to keep track of the URL that you popped up in Safari so that when you go back to the note, you can click on that URL that's in the note and it pulls up the web page you pulled it from. It, it, it's, a, it's a smart link that it, it does a it does a backlink to whatever app you pulled the information from, but it also remembers a lot of other metadata about what you're trying to capture. It also still works if you just want to type in some quick notes. If you're on a conference call or a Zoom call, oh yeah, I need to make a note about this. And then of course it dumps it in the notes app for you. Uh, I don't know if they've said anything about those notes working with other apps. I couldn't see why they would open up that API for QuickNote for that. But I do know that you can access the notes app from other deals. So I'm sure that some of these other ones will allow you to import from notes into your third-party app. I'm, I'm a big drafts user. It's one of the few apps I keep a subscription for. And I don't see it really competing with drafts. But the thing about it that it does come in through and hit is that quick Here's a quick action, and I have a black canvas to put whatever I want, a blank canvas to put whatever I want in there for it. I think this will finally get me to uh, to cancel Evernote and just sort of move into to notes completely. I think I don't really see a need to pay forty five bucks a year for uh, something that's that's basically now sort of not just feature complete, but better than Evernote in, in most cases. Yeah, I actually just got my uh, bear notice today. For- it's only like 15 bucks a year though, so it's not quite as bad and that's what I've been using for notes for probably the last year plus. I mean, well obviously a year if I subscribed a year ago, but yeah, so I'll have to decide if if I'm going to stick with Bear or um or go back to Notes. I I Notes is good. Bear, I I liked a couple of the, the tagging a little better, you know, the way you could basically tag a a note and it kind of just built the hierarchy in your for you. Uh so that was neat. Some of these apps still have that utility. Like I've been using Craft, uh, the Craft app for a few months. And for long form writing and other types of things, I think it's still better just because the formatting in Notes is very rudimentary. And it's, it's, it's shockingly bad in some respects. Like I'm kind of surprised they've never taken, what is that, what is that out of the office apps that Apple pages. makes? The, You're looking for yeah, pages. there you go. I, I was completely drawing a blank because I never use it, always use Word. Uh, you think they would integrate some of the stuff they do in Pages into the Notes app just so that it was... I mean, they give it away, so why not sort of... I'm just talking about things like rich text formatting, those types of things where 
these little um, improvements that would make it the stuff that they're doing right now is a very good broad denominator type of type of uh, additions. These are things that people will find useful across the board, but you could put some polish on it a little bit, bring in some rich text formatting, bring in something where if I wanted to write, you know, I could write something and format it a little bit better than just a couple of, you know, a table or a, or a asterisk or whatever, but beside a bullet point. See, and that's one reason I like Evernote so much because it does have all of that rich text formatting. And again, I have it on my Mac and the web and my iPhone. And it, you know, I, I can see notes getting there, you know, but I guess we're not going to see it in iOS 15. I just worry about the long-term viability of Evernote. I know I say that a lot or over the years, but you know, as time goes by, they used to have some really cool products that I liked, like the, uh, the recipe thing that they had. And the, uh, the business card one was really neat too. And they, yeah, that was cool. They killed all that stuff off. And I just, I worry that they're just sort of hanging by a thread and one day they're just going to be up and gone. And that sort of gives me pause, even though, I mean, I've been a loyal customer paying that 45 bucks a year since 2012. So you know, and I have notes going back as far as 2012, I guess, in there, you know, a lot of, a lot of technical stuff, a lot of stuff that I had for work that, that lived in there long before I had a, a free OneNote subscription. So, but even that, I, I don't like OneNote as much as I like Evernote, but uh, yeah, I feel the same way. Josh, you were going to say something? Well, it, it, it kind of gets me off to a, not quite a rant, but a problem that I, I've really a big problem that's that's hit me wrong about a lot of these updates. Jim, again, getting right back to Jim's name for this. Why now? All right, you're. Are, it, it's and, and where I'm going with that is this. All right, let's look at notes. Okay, notes would benefit from rich text formatting. I, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that it would ever get recipe OCRs like Evernote or full markdown formatting support like Drafts does or anything else like that. But there are things that could happen to this app that could make it much, much better than what it currently is. Not even big stuff. I'm not going to say rich text formatting is, look, don't ask me to implement it, but I would imagine it's not that difficult for Apple. So that begs the question to me, are there people at Apple that it is their sole job to work on the Notes app? And as big as Apple is, I would assume there is. It's an important core app to iOS. Why are these people only allowed to update this app once a year in June and July? Why are we only allowed to update face, FaceTime in June and July? Why can we only update Maps in June and July? Why are we waiting once a year to release big updates for these things? If you've got people, surely to goodness, these programmers at Apple that work on the Notes app or the Maps app or the FaceTime app, these are dedicated people. They make great work. Why? They only get a pat on the back well, once a year. <laughs> why are they only allowed to update their app once a year? You know, bring out features all the time. What What's the problem with that? Because, again, kind of like what you said about Siri with the maps. I do remember them saying that you can use Siri to report a traffic accident or a speed trap. But I completely forgot about it. You know, now, granted, they probably gave me on an update and they said, oh, here's the little click through. And I just clicked right through it and went, oh, I've got to get somewhere. To be fair, that was one of the things that they released that was not a .0. That came out like a month and some change ago as part of 14.5. 
And it was one of those things they didn't even announce back when 14 was even announced that it wasn't even one of the, and soon you'll be able to do this. They just snuck that in. So that actually is an, is an example that undermines what you're saying, but what you're saying is very important because this is something we complain about every single year. Why are they so monumentally big with the updates instead of, because again, when they, when they release this stuff, when they announce this stuff, it never really ships on day one. Like it's sometimes it's December before a lot of this stuff comes out or it'll be, you know, sometimes as late as February or March before stuff comes out. So it's kind of like you wonder about the things that aren't the core OS. Like why is it that a notes app is like this? Now, granted, we don't know the complexity behind the scenes of the underpinnings of iOS, whether or not that that's, you know, something that's just beyond the pale and they can't do it. But they really do need to get better. That is something that, you know, I don't think, uh, does Android do that? I have no idea. Maybe they're worried about the feature releases that, you know, Microsoft does twice a year. And the the one that comes out in May might work fine. And then the one that comes out in October is a piece of garbage, you know. And you've got IT firms and, you know, IT departments all freaking out, you know, trying to keep the, the new feature release from rolling out. It's like they, um, Apple doesn't want that to happen to, you know, 3 billion devices at once, you know, that is true. There are billions of devices. So, and I can totally understand and respect that. I, I think that a, a point zero release, uh, for the operating systems on an annual deal, I don't have a problem with that. Brian, to your question, it seems like I remember that, used to back whenever they would do Android point releases for new versions, they had the Gmail, they had all of the G suite apps tied to it. And it was sometime, and I want to say it's been years ago. Now they took those apps and unbundled them from the point releases of Android. And they said, we're just kind of, kind of let these apps update as they need to. I don't know why they don't. And it's one of those where, again, I apologize. I couldn't tell you if I get updates for maps and notes from the app store or not. I really don't know. With them being core apps, I don't know if they update through the app store or not. I really don't. But why don't they? Why not? What's the problem with that? And and just let them, don't tie them to point releases. Now, if there are certain apps, if if there's certain stuff like, say, uh, with Scribble, okay? Notes working with Scribble. In order for it to work, you kind of need the new point release of iPad OS to have that work. I get that. I understand that. That's when you, you wait and release it. But you're also going to have developers that are going to make all these apps for features that are only going to be in 15.0, and they're going to wait until the day of release from 15.0 to release these app updates. Why can't Apple do the same thing? Untie the apps from the, from the operating system and have them update and fly and be free and go their own way. I think to Brad's point, it's it's more of a case of, you know, billions of devices they got to be careful for. So, well, fellas, we have been talking for like an hour and a half, so it's probably a good stopping point. That works for me. Where's my dinner? (laughs) (laughs) And one week we'll talk about everything that's less left, including, you know, Mac OS, watch OS, TV OS, home OS, all that good stuff. I think we can cover that in one one episode. I think we can. All right. Well. Uh, if anyone has anything before we go, does anyone just going, to, going, going? Well, at some point, I was going to throw out one little quick thing. We're going to put in the show notes. I, I just got the case in today, but I've talked about these before. It's the company is named Smartish, and they make this simple case for an iPhone called the Kung Fu Grip case. You know, it's like a highly, highly reviewed. You know, wire cutter loves them. So they finally released a MagSafe version of that case, and I got a clear one. It's it's. Great. It's so the Apple Clear case 
is awful. Like it's so smooth that literally the case is almost useless. I was going to send it back and I basically just kind of forgot to. It literally like you can't hold the case because it's just so smooth. This is basically a see-through case, but it's got like uh, grips on the side to where you can actually hold the phone. It's 20 bucks on Amazon. So, I mean, look, I'm not, I love the leather cases and I actually like the, the, the silicon ones now too. You know, I bounce back and forth from those. But, you know, at $40, $50 a pop, you know, if you're looking for a cheap case for your phone, I think this one's actually called the Grip Monk now, like Chipmunk, but Grip Monk. Um, but anyway, it, it's it's a great case. It's 20 bucks, And I just wanted to throw that out there for anybody that's looking for something like that because I'm enjoying it because I, I can actually see my blue phone now. So, I'll have to know. check that case out. Let us know how long it takes to yellow because that's the uh, the biggest problem I have with the clear cases. They yellow pretty bad. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, if it lasts until September when I get my new phone. Exactly. Uh, give us a link in the notes, and I'll put it in the uh, the show notes. If uh, if that's it for everybody, then uh, I guess we can we can call it a show. Uh, later, fellas. Later, fellas. Later, fellas. Later, fellas. Please visit InfiniteLoopback.com for show notes and previous episodes. Follow us on Twitter. We're at InfiniteLoopback. That's at I-N-F-I-N Loopback. I'm Brian B. That's at B-R-I-A-N-B. Jim is at Big Jim. That's at B-I-G-J-I-M. Jason is at J-S-N-Y-N-G. That's at J-S-N-Y-N-G. And Brad is at Meester Idol. That's at M-E-E-S-T-E-R-I-D-L-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.